So welcome to the Global Discussion, discussions with creatives, leaders and thinkers. I'm Simon Hodgkins and I'm delighted to be joined by Margaret Malloy. You're very welcome to the podcast, Margaret. Let me start by asking you to introduce yourself to our international audience today. Tell us a little bit about your journey and what you focused on. Thank you, Simon. A very good morning. Delighted to be part of your wonderful community. So as you indicated, I'm Margaret Molloy. I'm the Global Chief Marketing Officer at Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is one of the world's leading brand strategy, design and experience firms. We work with firms when they need to uplevel their brands and their brand experience. Personally, as the accent probably still betrays, I was born and raised in Ireland, went to school in Ireland, Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, uh, spent some time in Spain, then graduate school in America and have been living in New York for the past couple of decades. So that's me in a nutshell. Well, thank you, Margaret. Thank you for sharing that. And I know Siegel and Gale were recently nominated for uh, agency uh, award, weren't you, with campaign? Is that correct? Yes, thank you for noticing. My team was honored to be shortlisted, specifically the marketing and communications team at Siegel and Gale for Agency of the Year. It's a lovely privilege and just a really nice nod to our efforts. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure many people are familiar with the, the great work that the Siegel and Gale team do around the world. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, being a CMO in today's world, Margaret, because you have a, a podcast, a very successful podcast, where you've interviewed 120, 150, I don't know at this stage, leading CMOs from all over the world. And you you, un, you uncover some really interesting information, some really great insights. But my question is this, has the role of a CMO changed? You know, have you seen a fundamental change, particularly in recent times? We've gone through a lot of turmoil there's an awful lot of content out there. What you, When I throw that question at you, what springs to mind from all the interviews that you've done and your own experience as a CMO? So I, I preface it with saying it very much depends on the category and the geography. But fundamentally, the role of the head of marketing is still about preserving the brand and the reputation of the organization and driving growth for the entity. Now, the channels, the tools, the mechanisms and priorities by which they do that have evolved significantly. There was a time when I spent most of my early career in business-to-business -business enterprise software. And a lot of that was sales enablement. It was very much marketing in the service of sales. And that still is very important. But what I've observed in recent times is an expansion of the constituents the marketer needs to speak to. We call that stakeholder capitalism. So now the marketer needs to be mindful of employees, the community, uh, regulators, as well as customers and users of the offering. So that expansiveness in constituents is one significant change. Another is a preoccupation with diversity, equity, and inclusion and how that manifests in everything the brand is communicating, but most importantly, in what the brand is doing. Another preoccupation, of course, is ESG, ESG investing, and that is part of the inclusion narrative, but also the environment and increased pressure on brands around communicating what they're doing vis-a-vis -vis climate. I'll highlight a third one, very recent, 
in the conversations I'm having, which is around technology broadly, but specifically the obsession right now is ChatGPT. And what will brands do? What will that mean for brands from a transparency perspective, from an authenticity perspective, but also from a, uh, a creativity dimension? And of course, the metaverse. And then smaller topics, what, what happens now when Netflix is an ad platform? Uh, so many questions. I think that's the big change. The, the profession, the conversation around marketing has become so much more expansive the marketer has to be very well educated on so many very different disciplines, as I indicated, but also very effective at team building to surround themselves with colleagues who have depth in each of these disciplines. You've raised some really fascinating points there, Margaret, and just maybe to go back a little bit on some of that. So you're right, the, 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 the world of DEI, ESG, it's very much on a CMO's agenda today. It's, at the, it's on the boardroom table agenda. Um, it's critical for businesses and brands now. And uh, the, the advancement of AI is truly staggering. And the implications of that in terms of uh, human-written content, AI-enabled type content, uh, you've got everything in there from copywriting to genuine, authentic content questions and opportunities, challenges, and threats. You also mentioned a wide gambit of stakeholders too uh, that the CMO has to deal with. Uh, and I suppose the other thing that, that I'd maybe add, which is kind of in there somewhere, but the whole compliance and regulation landscape has changed significantly for a CMO. And I think it's, it's, it's really interesting when you just start to list the things as you've done there. Uh, the role of a CMO, it's, it's extremely broad now, but you also have to know quite a lot in quite a lot of different areas now compared to maybe... I think a CMOs or the head of marketing 20 years ago, it was a very different landscape. That's right, Simon. But for me, that's very exciting because I think the ability to have influence is expanded when the scope of input, if you will, is larger. I also think we must remember as marketers, be we on the agency side or client side, or as you are deeply as a commentator, we are at our best when we identify a human truth and bring it to life in a creative way through storytelling and experiences that inspire people to act. And amid all the noise and confusion around tools and technologies and stakeholders, we need to anchor on that because that's what we are really good at. When we do that well, the business grows and our organizations prosper and brands help society. So it's easy to lose focus. And part of my thinking is always to bring myself and my clients back to that as a foundation. Thank you, Margaret. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that's spot on. Um, and it, it it reminds me that sometimes myself, you know, with my, with my CMO hat on for a moment, the creative side and that taking that storytelling or creating that piece of content or that video, that the audio, whatever it is, um, and being able to engage, motivate, move people through content, that creative side of it, for me, sometimes can feel like a bit of a holiday now. You're kind of getting back to the core essence of what you what you got into this business for. So thank you. Um, 
And Simon, I think that as humans and as customers and populations, we can hold two truths to be true at the same time. You can be creative and strategic at the same time. You asked about my background. I mean, I'm the classic Harvard MBA. So here am I advocating for creativity and storytelling, but it's anchored in identifying a human truth that is valid for that brand. And when you identify that truth in a special way and bring it to life, then the creative is anchored in strategy. So getting it all right is complicated, but when it's done well, it's extraordinarily impactful. And I think uniquely the terrain of the marketer. 100%. And as you say, it grows the bottom line and it improves the brand. So uh, really, really good stuff. And I, I want to come back to your podcast as well, because I mentioned it a little while ago. What do you love about podcasting? And what what have you learned through your journey? Because you've had really successful roundtables, you've had these sort of CMO interviews as well. Uh, what have you learned through that experience? And what do you love about that type of medium, Margaret? Because you, you've got a lot of great great information that you've shared through that. Well, thank you for acknowledging that. Specifically, the podcast name is How CMOs Commit, and it is recorded as a live webinar, often with hundreds, sometimes thousands of guests. What I've learned is the importance of community, our audience, as well as the speakers. So I convene in a roundtable format value hearing from each other as much as they value hearing my perspective and Siegel and Gail's perspective. And where I believe we add value is in convening people who are interesting, like-minded, some, in fact, with provocative views to instill some provocation in the conversation. But in addition, often when I do these sessions, I'm introducing CMOs to each other because they come from different industries and different parts of the world and they respect each other and may never have met each other. And I love the community building aspect of that. At my core, I'm a connector and connecting them to each other in a very strategic way is powerful. I also love audio as a medium and that's why we record it and make it available on podcast. It's very intimate, Simon, isn't it? I mean, you're listening to someone, it's in your ear. That's an extraordinarily intimate relationship you have with a listener. It's also, of course, inherently very flexible and mobile. And I think, therefore, it speaks to having empathy for my audience. I recognize that when we host live webinars for an hour in a given week, that may not be convenient for many people's schedules. So the ultimate empathy of a podcast is making it replayable, which is what I love about that media. Yeah, 100%. And I, I particularly enjoy, Margaret, the fact that you get this uh, sort of diverse views on on a similar topic uh, in the style that you do it in. And I, I love the fact that you also add in, well, here's your view on the subject, or you sometimes you often do like a summary of, you know, here's some of the things that we've we've picked up on today. And I think it's very valuable information because oftentimes I'm sure some of those CMOs may have never met uh, at all. That's right. That's and, right. Uh, and I think... And I, I think the diversity, I want to underline that, Simon, it's a very important point. One of the guiding principles 
for me in the production of that webinar and the subsequent recording of the podcast is amplifying diverse voices. And together with my team, we spend a lot of energy on finding people whose voice is deserving of being part of a conversation, but who may not be as visible. And it's really important that we do that. In fact, last year, I created a series called Inclusive Storytelling, and we celebrated the different culture months from Women's Day to Pride to AAPI, uh, Black History, Hispanic Heritage Month. And in each of those months, we challenged ourselves to provide senior marketers, CMOs often, from those particular cultures. That's who we strove to find and host and amplify their views for audiences of all cultures. And everyone was richer for those insights. So it's, it's a joy recruiting the CMOs. It's a joy convening them and an even greater joy, frankly, getting the feedback from folks who listened to it and found there was some insight that our convening gave them. Wonderful. Uh, I love it. Uh, thank you, Margaret. And uh, yeah, diversity and community are two words that are ringing true here in a lot of the work that you do. So thank you. Um, I want to change gear a little bit if I can. And I want to ask you another question, because we, we started off by talking about all these different areas and disciplines that the CMOs are involved in today. Uh, but obviously, we have to keep abreast of what's happening. We have to keep up with, you know, our finger on the pulse. We have to be also sort of a little bit like a futurist, you know, knowing what's coming down the line. But when it comes to your own sort of learning styles, learning habits, are you voraciously searching the web? Are you reading books? Are you, you know, uh, are you listening to audio books that you mentioned there a moment ago uh, or audio type uh, podcasts? What do you listen to? What do you read? Is there a particular author, a genre? Is it personal? Is it business? What does that look like for you, that world at the moment, Margaret? Oh, Simon, I love this question because personally, I oscillate between being a teacher and a student. It's a very classic Irish thing, isn't it? I sometimes think it is at the risk of um, leaning on my heritage too much to explain my behavior. But one day I'm teaching and I see that as part of the summaries you mentioned on our podcast. But also I'm a voraciously curious person and consumer of trends and behavioral information. So I listen to many, many podcasts and audiobooks. I love anything The Economist puts out, anything Harvard Business Review puts out. Um, increasingly, Hard Fork is very good as a podcast. Uh, Plain English with Derek Thompson. I love his provocations and his synthesis also. I learn a lot from his synthesis. I've also recently discovered and become a user of an app called Libby. And Libby is an app... I use it in the United States. And it essentially allows you in audio to borrow books from any library because I am also a subscriber to Audible, but there are limits to how many credits you can get. So I augment that with Libby. I, I walk a lot. So during exercise time, I'm listening around my home in free time. I listen a lot to both conversation and books read aloud. Personally, I get a lot from conversation. So that's why I like the interview style. 
uh, there's a certain efficiency to books being read aloud. So I like the blend. Some recent favorites, uh, Smart Brevity. I refer your listeners to that. You can check it out as a book. Um, Essential, The Pursuit of Less, wonderful book. Uh, another one is Predictable Irrationality. And while none of these books are ostensibly marketing books, I learn a lot from them because they provide insight around human behavior. And as marketers, we need to respond and engage human behavior. I mentioned the other more current affairs podcasts. I believe those to be important also because marketing and brands exist in culture. So you need to be current in culture. And um, I also, back when in person was the primary medium, I attend a lot of conferences. I convene a lot of private dinners and lunches in person because there's nothing like the human touch. So I augment the audio and the books with um, lots of lunches and lots of uh, dinner meetings to really hear firsthand the human experience of my fellow marketers. Well, th thank you, Margaret, because it, it, you know, I know our listeners love hearing about the sort of learning styles and the type of materials, and you, you, you've shared both of those there. And you also mentioned earlier, you know, the, the, the audio is quite personal. It goes straight in. And uh, but it's also efficient and effective. So a lot of people like to do something, whether it's exercise or do, you know, something that they have to do while they can onboard information. Simon, I want to add this week, I went with my team to the Met to see two exhibits there. I also think that's important because it speaks to getting out in culture. There's such temptation for all of us, particularly when we reach a senior level, to be in this ivory tower. And we have a lot of work. We have a lot of emails. We have many different channels we have to respond to. But I believe it's vital to experience creativity and culture. So museums, theater, shopping, doing what people do. Also, I find very inspiring for our work, but also for team building. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, some of the most productive, and this might sound a little strange, but some of the most productive creative times is where I'm actually not doing the CMO role, but I'm actually walking around an art gallery, yes. you know? And uh, there is something quite important in that, whether it's going to the Tate or whether it's just going and seeing some local artists or whatever you're doing. But those that sort of input uh, is the way sort of I describe it, or I've often used the term retina loading, meaning it's coming through my eyes and I'm experiencing it and it, it, it sort of works its way into the the thinking and the creativity, you know. I love that, Simon. And underlying your thesis is a very open mind, which is it's just so beautiful to hear you say that because your mind has to be open to experience the stimulation you get from the listening or the experiencing. So um, bravo you. What a, what a great reminder. Well, thank you, Margaret. And I think, you know, it comes back to, doesn't it, that diversity that you've been talking about and the community element that you've raised and the culture as well. Another great word, because experiencing that culture, not being in, whether it's an ivory tower or locked in for a couple of years due to a pandemic, it's important that we understand the human side of things, isn't it? The things that make us tick. 
uh, which sometimes are very emotional and not necessarily logical. So it's important for CMO to to address that too. But I, I love what you what you're what you're sharing with us. So thank you for that. Um, I want to change again a little bit and maybe build on that and ask you about uh, when you look back over your career. Now this can go back to your early childhood. Uh, we could go back to Ireland if you like, or it could be something you picked up at the Tate on your recent visit with your your team. Um, there must be people that you admire or people that have inspired you along the way, uh, or it may be just be a character trait. When I, when I give you that question, what springs to mind, Margaret? May I have two responses? Yeah, of course. So, so the first one, I'll take you back to the Irish context. Um, this is a woman I've never met, but I admire her courage, her bravery, and her ambition. My grand aunt, so my father's aunt left Ireland on the Titanic and she perished en route to Boston. And her ambition was to be a maid in a grand house in Boston. Obviously, uh, Bridget Henry never made it on that journey. And what I admire about her and take great inspiration from is her courage, her ambition, for her state in life, frankly, she came from very modest circumstances, did not have the benefit of any formal education. And I love in that story, the struggle. And I, I admire that. I admire that. And I see it in people from other cultures, in other circumstances, striving, wanting more, taking courage and being fearless. So those are traits that I admire, embodied arguably in my own DNA that I try to evoke from time to time. A second trait I admire, I see in communities. For example, I've worked uh, on a pro bono basis with Irish designers, fashion designers and creatives. And what I love about that community is their craft. I have such admiration for anyone who aspires to being a master at their craft, whatever the craft is. And in my exposure to the Irish fashion designers, I've observed that creativity and their quest for mastering it in the, in the medium they work with, which is fashion and apparel and jewelry. Extrapolating that insight, anyone, whatever your chosen profession or pursuit, striving for mastery. That's something I admire and take great joy in experiencing. Okay, well, thank you for sharing those. I wasn't aware of the uh, the Titanic link, but uh, yeah, it's. I can see how that you can certainly draw from that an awful lot. Uh, and, um, you know, right up to the, the, pro, the pro bono work and, the, you know, the traits of helping support creators uh, and Irish fashion I know um could you could you maybe just expand on the on the um the wearing Irish a little bit because people I mean I'm familiar with it but people listening around the world may not be as familiar as I am and kind of the work that you do there and the Instagram account and it'd be nice for people to hear a little bit about wearing Irish I think thank you Simon so back almost a decade ago now I discovered a wealth of Irish talent in the fashion industry. And because I was at the time hosting events globally, I needed outfits to wear to various things. And I chose to purchase from Irish designers, got some compliments, 
And then I realized, my goodness, I have a platform here, albeit a very small one. So with that insight, I created an account called Wearing Irish. And here was I, this middle-aged woman, posting pictures of herself wearing the creations of these designers. And it inspired others to do the same. And the hashtag Wearing Irish became a very small movement for a period of time. Then I extended that to hosting a series of events in New York under the same brand, Wearing Irish, with generous sponsorship from a variety of organizations and a competition where we selected 10 top designers to come to New York to show their wares to the community here. And that was the culmination of the efforts around highlighting the designers and giving them access and exposure. That was my motivation. I did not have enough budget or financial wherewithal to support many of them, but I did have access and I did have a platform and the ability to provide exposure. And again, with the support of many volunteers, we had a wonderful event. Many of the designers had great outcomes. The efforts continue with Wearing Irish. And perhaps most important of all, that conversation that I believe I helped stoke in Ireland around, let's look at our own designers. Let's show some appreciation for their creativity. Now, every time I open a magazine or a paper in Ireland, some wonderful Irish designer is being highlighted. So I'm proud to have played a very small part in instigating and stoking that conversation. And sometimes I think it's, it's a function of being abroad. The fact that this lady in New York noticed Irish designers where she had many options surrounding her, I think may have helped highlight the relevance of these designers to um, the folks in Ireland who are purchasing fashion. So proud of that, terribly small contribution, but nonetheless meaningful to me. I think you've been a little modest, Margaret, I, when you say a, a small contribution. I think the hashtag was certainly picked up and people are very aware of it and the fact that you're over 10 years now uh, blazing a trail in this area there's many people that are very aware of Irish designers Irish fashion Irish creators and I think you you've played a a role in that and I think that's that's really fantastic to see and you know that back to that diaspora back to that community back to the you know the Irish heritage and the New York connection and I think it you know you didn't have to do any of that you know um you're a busy person in your own right but i think it is a wonderful thing to be promoting uh, irish creativity around the world so congratulations and continued success with that um that the other thing i wanted to ask you though because we've talked a little bit about admiring and the traits that we admire but i wanted to ask you a little bit about advice now this could be advice that you took to heart that still lives with you today that you think that's fantastic advice i will never forget that i wish somebody had told me earlier or it may be advice that you find yourself regularly sharing with people. Um, again, when I ask you that, what springs to mind for you, Margaret? The very first thing that springs to mind is my father's advice. As a child growing up, he would always tell us, keep your promises. Awfully simple. And that I carry with me throughout my professional and indeed personal life. And ultimately, what that means is being choiceful about your commitments, saying yes, but saying no to things, knowing if you can't deliver, you're breaking a promise. And it's funny, Simon, 
here I find myself working with brands, talking about branding every day of the week. And at its core, what is branding? It's really about keeping promises. So it's a funny old one, how that has stuck with me at a very visceral level. And it's core to the advice I offer clients, I share with my team, and indeed, I find myself surrounded by brilliant colleagues at Siegel and Gale who bring that to life for our clients. So keep your promises. It's, it's as I said, it's simple, but done well, it, um, it can be quite profound. And that's ancient wisdom found in many cultures. It's not unique to Irish culture, of course. If you think at, of Maya Angelou here in the United States, a quote often attributed to her something along the lines of people will forget what you do, they will forget what you say, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And when you keep your promises, you make people feel honored, respected as a human, but also as a brand. Couldn't agree more. I, I love that, Margaret. Thank you. Um... And it talks a lot to, you know, something that I hold dear, which is integrity and honesty. And I think ultimately that's what it comes down to. You know, if it's not true, don't say it. And uh, I love I love that. And so something so simplistic said to maybe a younger child that you carry with you for your whole life, you know. Uh, and it, it, it's as important today as it's ever been. And it, it plays a part in how you work with international brands around the world. So, yeah, I love that. Thank you. Um, and the, the last thing before we run out of time is I want to ask you, um, is there anything that I haven't touched on that you want to share with our worldwide audience today? Is there anything else uh, that's there? Now, it could be, you know, we've got a year ahead. You've got the next six to 12 months. What are you trying to focus on? What's on your mind? What's on your goal list or whatever way you look at it? Um, and I'm, I'm going to ask you at the at the very end to just help people to reach out and get in touch with you. But when I ask you about the next six to 12 months, when I ask you, is there anything else that you want to you want to share with us? What what springs to mind there? Simon, in addition to what we've talked about, I would like to emphasize the importance of simplicity. We live in a very noisy world. As marketers, we have a tremendous opportunity to bring simplicity to people. We've all gone through the pandemic. We're concerned about economic recession, uh, war in Ukraine, and so many other global events. I think there is an opportunity for brands to really focus on what matters, to get to the core of what they stand for, and to make it easy for people to buy from them, interact with them. It's a huge opportunity for brands from a growth standpoint. And it's a huge grace to give to your community. At Siegel and Gale, we like to say simple is smart, but simple ain't easy. To get to the core, to be able to create experiences for customers that are at once um, remarkably clear, yet fresh and beautiful. I'd like to invite your listeners to really think about simplicity in the year ahead. And should they need any support in that, you can certainly reach out to me. I'd be honored to connect you with my colleagues. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Margaret. 
I'm assuming LinkedIn or the website for Siegel and Gale are the best places to go to. They are indeed. And you can find me very actively. I love to get more followers, as I know do you, Simon. So you'll find me on LinkedIn. You'll find me on Twitter at Margaret Malloy. And you'll find Wearing Irish on Instagram, should you want to take a look at those creations. Well, thank you. That's a lovely note to end on. Uh, so thank you to Margaret Malloy for being on this episode of The Global Discussion. Thank you to everybody who's been watching or listening around the world. And uh, make sure that you like, follow, subscribe, do all the, the things that we need you to do to help support the podcast. And uh, I hope that people join us back here for more discussions with creatives, leaders and thinkers. So thank you, Margaret. It's been an absolute pleasure. A treat, Simon. Thank you and have a wonderful 2023. Thank you so much. Thank you.